Welcome to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese on Blog Talk Radio. Robert is the author of The Offsite, Leadership Challenge Fable, and the founder of LeaderInsideOut.com. And welcome once again to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and co-host Mike Neese. This is Monday, May 11th, 2015, and this is Robert Thompson coming to you live from the beautiful San Francisco Bay, as we do each and every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. And of course, joining me from the shores of Lake Michigan for the past six years is my good friend and co-host, Mike Neese. Mike, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you, Robert. And congratulations. You know, you were my first guest six years ago or so, and you've just never, never gone away. Uh, you know, I just haven't figured out how to hang up. You just became the co-host, yeah. Just, just never went away. Anyway, we've got a great show once again today. We're celebrating with our good friend and colleague, Ron Crossman. He's returning to share insights around what else? Optimism. Is it good or bad? Does it improve performance? Can it be learned or do we need to be born with it? We'll wrestle with those questions and many more over the next half hour. Folks, if you have a question or a thought to share, please call in at 347-989-0965. That number again, 347-989-0965. And, of course, never miss a session by subscribing to Thought Grenades right there on iTunes. That way Mike and I are right there on your mobile device. If you're looking for something practical, simple, and effective, stay right here. Ron? Good to have you on. Thanks for taking time to be with us. It's a pleasure, and I'm I'm speaking to you from the from the velvet uh, landscape of Mason, Ohio. So I have to keep up with the, uh, the Michigan the and, uh, Bay Area there. So yeah, yeah, velvet. velvet well, I had to come up with something yeah. optimistic, okay. right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So so what is this? What what's optimistic? You know, when we connected, you're you're all excited about this. Are you? Uh, is this some new research you're doing uh, for a book or what? Uh, uh, it, it is it is uh, uh, new research in that uh, I am reviewing the literature on uh, on optimism for some work that I'm doing for a client, and, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking at it through the practical applications in a leadership development lens. I mean that's something the three of us share is. Uh, part of our lives. Uh, we, we're involved in that whole uh, uh, debate. And I've been in and around this subject matter as, a, uh, as both a serious and casual student for about 15 years. And I thought it was time for us to sort of clear the air about some of the things that we now know about optimism and what we don't know. And so to get things started, I thought I would say, ask, ask the two of you, have you ever heard or used any of these phrases? Success breeds success. Look on Mm -hmm. the bright side of life. It's darkest before the dawn. When a a door closes, a window opens. Every cloud has a silver lining. Keep your expectations low. Sing a happy tune. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. When at first you don't succeed, what do you do? You give up. (laughs) That, that's, that's, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you give up. <laughs> we're we're putting that in the pessimistic column right now. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, creativity is one percent inspiration and ninety nine percent perspiration. Sure, perspiration. All of these, yeah, all these shorthand rule of thumbs. These are aphorisms. These are uh, some may call them platitudes. These are shorthand ways we have of talking about. What, what the general consensus among those people that seriously study optimism would claim 
is our natural bias as human beings towards having uh, 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 optimistic illusions about life. So we have to understand that generally speaking, around the world, across all cultures and all age groups, uh, the preponderance is that while we do know of some people that are sort of chronically depressed and or chronic uh, uh, great pessimists, meaning that they don't seem to have much of the optimism sort of outlook on life, uh, by far the majority of us have a bias towards a more optimistic side when it comes to things and events that will happen to us personally. We all believe that tomorrow is going to be a slightly better day for us than today, unless we know we're going to the dentist chair or something like that. We, we all believe uh, that somehow our future is more in our control than we, uh, uh, happen, than, than we can actually demonstrate and all those kinds of things. And so there's been a lot of uh, work around this area. And it's, it's been framed in a lot of different ways. I think for the discussion today, it would be interesting for you to see how different clumps or groups of researchers have kind of framed this. They framed it as uh, some of the original research was looking at what's the difference between absolute optimism and comparative optimism. Absolute optimism is the person that never sees a dark lining, always sees. In, in other words, you might actually say that this is a, a, an optimist uh, that you don't want to count on in any kind of strategy session because they can't see failure. They can't see exception. They can't see uh, those things. All they can see is sort of the, uh, uh, the positive all the time. Those, sure. those people tend to, over time, we tend to be a little bit skeptical of. You know, uh, and comparative optimism is sort of more of a nuanced or reasoned optimism. Uh, there's, the, there's the whole f frame that probably the three of us uh, are uh, uh, more aware of, and that's sort of the positive psychology movement, uh, which, uh, which includes concepts like learned optimism, learned helplessness, big optimism versus little optimism, optimism biases and optimistic uh, illusions, even deliberate optimism and architectural optimism. Now, that's a handful and sort of a, a, a mouthful of different ways of looking at what this happens to be. But I'd like, for, uh, I'd like to take you through a little bit of uh, information about how it works, and then we can talk about, I'd, I'd like for the three of us to discuss, what's the leadership lessons in here? Sure. In what ways should leaders be involved in sort of what we now understand about this, uh, this bias? Um, uh, See if this rings true for both of you. Do you sometimes feel you're more optimistic in one area of your life versus another? Yeah, Say you're, 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 you're lucky at relationships, but maybe not so lucky with money or vice versa or something like that. Do you feel that way? Sure. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. People do. Optimism is context-dependent. Even the most optimistic person is unlikely to be optimistic in every venue of their life. So that's sort of an interesting thing, which means that – so that suggested to some people uh, early on that, well, was there a learned portion to this or how much did learning or experience play uh, in the development of this? Uh, on average, we think uh, – on average, people uh, tend to think that things will turn out better than they will. Uh, when delays happen in our plans, when we have serious plans that we want to get after and an uh, interruption occurs or a delay or a setback or something like that uh, – Often, 
will do one of two things, and this, this leads into this idea that optimism has a time-relevance capacity to it. Uh, and that is we will look at the delay, and e- even though we may initially be irritated, what we'll do is we'll look for reasons for the delay and put them in favorable lights, or we will literally turn it around and say, you know, if this delay had not happened, things wouldn't have worked out so well later. We will, over time, we'll look back on that delay saying that delay actually saved our butts. That delay did something positive for us. Uh, uh, We'll we'll actually retrofit the data so that even the delay comes out being more positive uh, when we look at it. Um, Collective, uh, uh, the the biggest thing to to understand about optimism from the research and for uh, for commentary today is that optimism, uh, uh, it starts with the individual. The three of us can be optimistic, and we are optimistic, and, and our, but our optimism starts, our optimism quotient, if you will, or capacity, starts reducing rather seriously when we start thinking about other groups. Our, our, our in, as, as the population of individuals that we consider starts to expand, we become less optimistic. So, for example, I'm very optimistic about my abilities. I, I've, I've well-crafted uh, uh, competencies that I've honed over the years and et cetera. And I have a lot of confidence about my abilities now and into the future. My family is a great family. I'm optimistic about the future of their lives and stuff like that. My community, however, is kind of, you know, it's got some problems. And my state, by God, I mean my state, it's a purple state. It doesn't know if it's red or blue or what the hell is going on. And the United States will forget about it. You see how that begins to work? It's this idea as we, as we scale up in terms of society. Uh, we people will actually even people that are living under sort of harsh regimes will conclude that while the society is going to hell in a handbasket, we're going to kind of come out okay in this affair. We'll come out better than our peers in some measure. We actually have an optimism bias that says even under harsh conditions, I'll get less harshness than others will. That's a general uh, human tendency that we have. Ron, in that example you gave, though, is that because it gets progressively harder to, to control outcomes, the greater the uh, size of the community we're looking at? Uh, I think you've put your hand right on one of the uh, most important variables. Optimism seems to be influenced by locus of control, the correlation factors between I feel I have a, an enormous amount of control over my capabilities, my attitude, my work ethic, et cetera, all these kinds of things. So, therefore, my optimism correlates it at a higher measure. Mm-hmm. When I start getting to larger and larger groups, I feel, I, I feel like I have less and less control. Therefore, my optimism goes down. There is a correlation effect to that. Uh, okay. some, researchers, some, some researchers say it's, it's uh, more than just uh, a correlation, uh, but that's sort of up in the air uh, as far as I'm concerned looking at the, uh, the research. Uh, most, uh, therefore, most of us feel here's the, here's the thing that's really really funny. Most of us, if you ask people on just sort of normal everyday acts of life, we all feel like we're in the top twenty five percent. Here's what the research shows: when when groups are asked, 
Uh, how are your driving skills versus others? Top 25%. How, how good are you at getting along with others? Well, I'm, I'm better than 75% of the other people. How honest are you? Well, I'm more honest than 75% of the other people. Uh, how modest are you? Well, I'm, I'm far more modest than, than most of y'all. You begin to see how this works? We, we cannot divorce ourselves. The, uh, so second thing about optimism, it appears to be pervasive as well as contextual. It's this odd thing about it. Uh, we can have both context-dependent views of optimism that we're aware of, and yet we can also have some of these universal views. It's sort of a real uh, funny thing. Here's, here's the one that I, I found to be uh, the most hilarious in, in the research. In fact, I almost couldn't believe the research when I read it, uh, but it seems to be relatively correlated. There appears to be almost zero newlyweds that just before they get married believe that they will get divorced. <laughs> it is literally, I mean, literally, statistic, the, the surveys, it's zero. Zero believe that they will get divorced, even when most of them, if not all of them, understand that the divorce rate in Western, in Western cultures is, a, is sure. roughly 40%. But it won't happen to me. And that's, the, that's, that's sort of the thing that is both the blessing and the curse of optimism when it comes to leadership. Bad things will happen, but not to me. It will happen to others, which can lead to some huge distortions in your critical thinking abilities when you're in a business proposition with others, uh, those kinds of things. Um, it's a form of mental time travel. When we look at the future, we think things are going to work out better. Uh, uh, and so let's, let's think of it this way. Uh, Mike, let's, let's say that you think that uh, cancer rates uh, for a particular kind of cancer are about 50% among people, mm -hmm. okay? And, uh, Robert, let's say that you think they're, uh, that it's more like uh, uh, 10%, this, this rate of this cancer occurring generally. That's your initial condition. You go in with that. Yes. If I, Mike, if I, if I come in and tell you, no, actually, your, your estimate's a little high. It's actually 30%. For this kind of cancer, it's actually 30%. If I test you later, you'll remember that 30% number, and you will adjust your view on that. You'll go mm -hmm. with the data, basically. You'll say, you may, you know, you guess in the kind of 30 to 35% rate. You'll learn it quickly, and you'll, and you'll revise your estimate. However, yes, okay. Robert, in your case, if you believe it's 10%, and I, t and I tell you it's 30%, and then test you later, you say, no, it's still 10%. There's something about initial there, – yeah, if, if this goes against what I believe, then, then I will discount evidence to the contrary. Think about what that means, say, for highly successful salespeople. I win 79% of my cases. I, I, have, I have a close rate of uh, 65% or something like that. These numbers become embedded, and when context changes, situations changes, product lines changes, et cetera, whatever – it's extraordinarily difficult for them to adjust their beliefs about their abilities based upon context, uh, those kinds of things. What's also very interesting about optimism, uh, the scary research, if you hold a magnet up to your head, I can actually make you higher or lower in your optimism. <laughs> Literally, we, we know that we can adjust uh, on a temporary basis. It's not a permanent basis, but we can adjust uh, your sort of ebullience uh, towards something 
simply by using a magnet, which is part of the whole process of how we're beginning to learn cognitively what parts of the brain are more responsible uh, than others uh, for, uh, for this kind of thing. Uh, so, so, so you're saying all those times I wore a, a tinfoil hat, you guys making fun of me, you were you were ill-conceived there because I was protecting uh, against that uh, magnetic wave. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> tin, tin is a uh, uh, tin oh, no. is for insulator for magnetism. So, I, <laughs> you need a diff- different material there. So, anyway, but uh, here's the thing: have you have you heard this? Uh, um, what what are your thoughts about? Uh, I'm going to pause here with this information. Generally speaking, what are your thoughts between a pessimist and an optimist? How would you describe the difference between the two? I mean, I think I'm thinking about this in the context of, of performance, Ron. I mean, the thing that's that's bubbling up inside of me and concerning me is the difference to me is a pessimist's life is about avoidance of pain, and an optimist is pursuit of pleasure. Interesting. Okay. If I, okay. If I if I'm a pessimist, I'm gonna I'm gonna be awful cautious and awful on guard for things that can go wrong, and uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I mean, so so general general uh, feelings about uh, uh, it sounds like less or more anxiety, focus yes. on on troubles versus uh, focus on possibilities, that sort of thing, right? Yes. Robert, yes. Do, you, do you agree or do you have a slightly different view? I think I would agree with Mike. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of people do tend to see it that way. Clinicians have a slightly different sort of a view on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And what they, uh, th- their view is sort of in keeping with the, the conversation you've just had, but a little bit different. Optimists tend to be more cheerful people, meaning that they're more, they look happier, which is why there's sort of this, what I consider to be a re- relatively dubious link to happiness and optimism, uh, uh, the way that some people talk about it. Uh, but there is a linkage between optimism and sort of being more happy and more cheerful, uh, those kinds okay. of things. Here's the, but, here's the, but here's the difference. Uh, clinicians, people that study us, say uh, the, the vernacular that they put is, is that optimists are more cheerful, pessimists are more right. Yes. Optimists are more cheerful about the future. Pessimists are actually often more right in their calculation about what reality is. They tend to be, they tend to be realists as opposed to downers. It's a little bit of this idea that our natural optimism bias, when we encounter people that are less optimistic than we are, now you have to understand it's a differential. If they're less optimistic than me, it doesn't mean that they're not optimistic, but if they're less. I feel that they are an optimism drain, even when they actually may be looking at the situation in more realistic views. And I think that has significant uh, significant influences upon how leaders should approach group work. If you're always going by the most upbeat, the most optimistic person, you may literally be uh, 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 continually following for or falling for the biases, the cognitive uh, the cognitive thought processes that bias optimists to not take a look at warning information or they, they look at information and they add it up incorrectly because they want it to come out right. Those kinds of things. And there's, there's an awful lot of work. uh, There's an awful lot of work on optimism as a cognitive bias that needs to be cautioned against. I'm going to give you some more of that here uh, um, 
as we tend to, to uh, as we tend to go. Uh, how, uh, you're you're familiar with Seligman, Seligman's work on learned optimism. No, Seligman. Uh, okay, well, he, uh, he's counted along with Csikszentmihalyi and some others as sort of the uh, sort of the forerunners of the whole positive psychology movement that, that mm-hmm. has been, a, uh, uh, been around for about twenty or twenty five years or so. Taking a look at it. What's interesting about his research is that he says that you can learn to be more optimistic. You can actually use cognitive discipline uh, to learn to become more op- uh, optimistic. And uh, since he's done that research, a lot of people have come back and said, well, not really. You can influence your whatever level of optimism you have uh, by the time you're a teenager is probably going to be roughly the amount that you have for the rest of your life. Unless mm-hmm. serious... Yeah, unless serious, significant negative events happen to you, which can lower your optimism. But it's mm-hmm. very difficult to raise optimism after adolescence. You can learn to control your pessimism or your negativity and overcome those problems. But it's not particularly true that you can raise your optimism. What you can do is use cognitive te- techniques to, uh, to aid your optimistic outlook to look at things more um, more clearly, more logically, uh, as you take a look at it. So there is some of that. So there's, there is a uh, – uh, the, the problem I have with our industry right now is a lot of people say, let's learn some optimism, and, and if you take this course, you'll come out, and you'll know how to be more optimistic. And I, actually, I think that is a false reading from what the data says. The research doesn't say that. It says that it can, it can help you not become less optimistic by using these principles better is what it basically uh, basically what it says. But we turn that into its optimistic, right, cheerful. Uh, 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 we rephrase it so it's more cheerful and optimistic, right? And especially if we're going to sell it, we're going to teach your salespeople to be more optimistic. Well, who wouldn't want to buy that, right? The reality is now what we're going to do is teach them not to become pessimistic and also to use their optimism uh, uh, in a more uh, – uh, cogent way. Uh, a couple of things to consider, uh, uh, give you some of the negatives about optimism. Here, let me give you some quick positives. Generally speaking, optimism does improve your health generally. Uh, people that are more optimistic tend to be uh, live a little bit longer. They endure pain a little bit better. Uh, they tend to enjoy life a little bit more than others. There's a lot of sort of generalized uh, good things that come from having a more cheery attitude. So these platitudes uh, that we use about looking on the bright side of things and those kinds of things actually are, you know, they're innocuous and they're, they generally have some good effect. The difficulty is when you use them in a, in a business uh, uh, context to try to increase performance. The data on how optimism influences performance is still out. Uh, the jury is still out on that. What we do know is that optimism massively, massively, uh, significantly, I should uh, uh, temper my optimistic phrases here, optimism can actually increase um, our willingness to persevere and our motivation to carry on. That makes sense, yeah. It, in that role, in other words, if a team's feeling down or if an individual's not feeling uh, uh, feeling uh, particularly charged right now, 
then the the sorts of things that you would say or do or intervene to raise the feelings of persistence, to raise the feelings of motivation are well worth your effort uh, as as a manager and as a leader in the organization. To think, though, that those same commentaries have, have, has a gross or a, uh, a measurable uh, type of um, outcome on their actual performance is where we get into some faulty reasoning. And so what happens is that we think that if they persevere, if they are more motivated, they will therefore win more often is not necessarily true. If you've got a, if you've got a, a team that's not particularly competent, but they're, they're highly confident, uh, they may actually persevere. They may actually look like they're playing better. Let's take basketball. They may make a few more baskets because they're persevering. But, but it's only it's the perseverance that counts, not so much that you actually increase the performance. Performance is an outcome of them staying in the game longer. Not <laughs> give you a great example right here, right here in River City. Uh, a number of years ago, we celebrated Pete Rose's. Uh, 4,000th and something or another uh, uh, hit, because at that point in time he had the greatest number of hits of any baseball player, right? And everyone was talking at the time about his great performance. And uh, I was always a little bit sort of uh, thought that was muddled thinking, because it sounded like what he did was that he was always more energetic, more optimistic, uh, all those things, and that his batting average was higher. The reality is he was always an average batter. His batting average at no point in his career was ever at the top of batting averages uh, for the league. The only thing is is that Pete Rose's cheerfulness allowed him to stay in the game long enough to garner enough hits. It was was persistence, not performance, that earned him that particular accolade. It's also interesting, at the same moment that he had the greatest number of hits, he also had the greatest number of outs simply as a function of being in the game longer. So I use that as an example of the caution um, between using optimism too much around performance. Secondarily, uh, the the evidence for senior leaders gets a little bit more grim. Uh, Senior leaders that that get awards for being great CEOs or that have significant portions of stock options Money that they have in the in the company at stake when they uh, when they're uh, taking uh, uh, risks. The data shows that uh, CEOs that are are turned into celebrities and or have greater stock uh, uh, stock skin in the game, basically in the company, are more willing to take greater uh, greater risks that are not as carefully thought through. Uh, the, one of the one of the uh, uh, long articles that I read by the researchers around that basically said board members that start seeing uh, seeing their CEOs gain celebrity status and start receiving outlandish awards uh, should be uh, spending more time with their CEO and their staff to literally com- combat this the optimism bias that tends to say uh, I've always won I'm a winner. I never lose that sort of whole buildup that can happen. You can run away. And there's all, I, I, I'm actually skimming over a lot of the uh, uh, optimistic biases that are part of our cognitive process uh, that can lead from this. Now, with all that said, uh, let me pause and take some questions from you guys. So 
there must be a we only have a, a couple of minutes there, there must be a spectrum here where uh optimism lies um what might that be is ten percent on each end and and uh, the the remainder in the middle where there is that how it works or is it different than that no it's it's different than that uh uh it's different than that uh on average on average it, uh it's it's more skewed uh, I think it would be easier to say that 80% of us are, are more optimistic about the future than, than reality warrants. Uh, okay. There's only about 20% of the population that falls into the uh, – to 20 to 25% that either falls into the realistic range. You know, it's not that I'm not optimistic. It's just that I'm a realist. Or they're actually right. pessimists and or, well, they're clinically de- or they're clinically depressed. In other words, they have other they have other – cognitive or emotional difficulties that are suppressing the general bias that human beings tend to have for optimism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Generally, generally speaking, we're optimistic as a, as a species. Yes. We've got to have you back Ron, because this is really interesting, but you know, here's, here's what I'm left with though. I, in my mind, it's okay. I, I can see that an individual leader can be an optimistic person. And the reason he's optimistic or she's optimistic is because they're also great critical thinkers. There's a reason for my optimism. My reason for my optimism is that I do the proper analysis and I and I prevent problems along the way. So I'm, I'm using a critical business practice to fuel my optimistic belief in my outcome. Uh, and, Mike, you have just put your hand on what my recommendation for leaders is, that that if you use optimism combined with critical thinking, you're really on to a powerful combo. Wonderful. Unfortunately, the data shows that we don't really do that as often as we should. Exactly. What the data, what the data shows is that we simply want upbeat and confident people, that that alone carries the day. We expect performance to follow from that, uh, and that's a, that is a dangerous assumption on our part. Uh, and here's the reason why. I, I know we've, we're just about out of time. Here's the reason why. Uh, uh, what I would call deliberative or architectural or uh, um, sort of uh, deliberative o- optimism, this optimism mm-hmm. combined with critical thinking, uh, is is really hard work. It's just like any other kind of critical thinking. It really is hard to do, and and not enough of us are well-trained in it. And therefore, uh, what happens is that we simply rely upon our intuition is, are you a cheerful person? Or you, do you have a sunny disposition? We fall back on intuitive rules of thumb that that allow the biases to creep in. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, listen, as Mike said, Ron, as always, we have to have you back and keep having this conversation. I'm optimistic that we will. I'm not pessimistic at all. Um, Fantastic. That, I'm, I'm glad I'm to hear fairly, it. I'm fairly certain that we, we can do that. And I know that... Uh, because I'm always one that look on the bright side uh, because I know success breeds success and that there's always a silver lining. And I try to keep my expectations low for this show, that's for sure. And I sing a happy – I do sing a happy tune. Anyway, we're out of time. So, um, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Really appreciate it. And uh, keep doing this work because you're, you're, un, you know, you're unearthing some stuff here that's uh, very important for people to know. I, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. Good All right, Roger. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care now. Mike, see you uh, next week. Uh, interesting uh, things popping up as we go through the leader 
for the common good team. We'll be back mm-hmm. to that next week. Um, so it'll be kind of interesting. Uh, we had some interesting guests uh, over the past few months. Folks, this is Robert Thompson for Mike Neese. Thanks for listening to Thought Grenades for Monday, 11th, 2015. Thanks for listening to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese. Catch us live every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on Blog Talk Radio or listen anytime you wish on iTunes.